Tim Keller, the greatly loved, highly respected founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, also a New York Times best-selling author, announced this past spring that he has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He's written a few things in between, but I want to read now from uh, a recent video interview with Tim Keller. Tim says that Kathy, that's his wife, and my greatest fear, and I'm not just saying this, our greatest fear is that if I get a really good diagnosis, a really good response to the cancer, and I really do well, and I really am able to live for a number of more years, we never want to go back spiritually to where we were before the cancer diagnosis. We never want to go back to that because in spite of all the things I've already preached, and I wasn't a hypocrite exactly, but the reality is that most of us say we need to depend on God, but we actually think we've got it sorted. We know technically that we're mortal. We know technically that God is in charge of everything, but we actually experientially don't believe it until life gets beyond our ability to control it. And when that happens, you turn to God and you say, Oh my goodness, He really is there. He is enough. I'm actually happier than I've ever been on a given day. I enjoy the things around me in a way I've never enjoyed them before. I see them as gifts of God. And I enjoy my prayer life more than I have ever have in my life. We just don't want to go back to before that. We don't want to go back to where we were before. Wow. The Lord is taking Tim and Kathy on a journey. A journey that is drawing them further in and deeper still with him. Further into understanding his greatness and his glory, and his goodness, and his grace. Deeper still in experiencing the reality of his presence. How willing are you to take this journey with the Lord? Are you brave enough to ask God to take you further in and deeper still? And do you trust God with the journey? your journey. See, the reality is this. If we're disciples of Christ, we must always seek to move further in and deeper still with the Lord. That's what I was to talk about as we come to our passage this morning. Once again, it's from Luke chapter 1. And you will find that passage printed in your bulletin. So if you want to use your bulletin, if not, you can turn uh, in your Bibles. When you have that ready, if you would please stand so that we might hear together the word of the living God. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour 
of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And then at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And now over to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted to be called. He wanted him to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it, we pray. Fulfill your promise where your word is read and heard, that that place is the place of your blessing. So, Spirit of God, join your word now so that we might understand it better, so that we might know you better through it, so that we might go further in and deeper still with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. These verses actually describe Zechariah's journey of further in and deeper still. I think it's safe to assume that when Gabriel told Zechariah that he would not be able to speak, and when Zechariah immediately experienced the reality of that, when he opened his mouth and found that he could not speak, I would say that Zechariah was not happy about that fact. Now, sometimes the Greek words that Gabriel uses here for silent and unable to speak can refer not only to muteness, but also to deafness as well. And apparently that's exactly what happened to Zechariah. He was both mute and deaf because in order to communicate with him, Scripture says that people had to use sign language. So in this moment, in the temple... Zachariah's world went completely silent. Now, why was this the quote-unquote punishment for Zachariah's unbelief? His response is not that uh, dissimilar to Abraham's response when Abraham was in a very similar situation. When God first called Abraham, he was 75 years old and he was childless. God said to him, he promised him, you will have a son. That was Genesis chapter 12. Well, five chapters later and 
25 years later, Abraham still does not have a son by his wife. So God says to Abraham in Genesis 17, I will bless Sarah, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90, year old, 90 years old, bear a child? Then we come to Genesis 18. The Lord said to Abraham, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now we've come full circle, haven't we? Back to the angel Gabriel, back to the Advent message that he gave Mary when he told her, you shall give birth to Jesus, for nothing is impossible with the Lord. Abraham and Sarah both laughed at God's promise, both questioned the reasonableness and the rationality of God's promise, and asked, shall it be? So it seems that they too had given up hope, But neither one of them were struck mute and deaf for laughing at God's promise. So, is God just capricious? Is God given to mood swings? Did Zachariah's unbelief just catch God on a bad day? Is God just plain old unfair? I hate to even say flippant words like that out loud about our holy God, but we might as well face head on the reality that those are the thoughts, those are the feelings that sometimes we have about God. But here's the truth. God is neither capricious nor moody. God doesn't have bad days. He does not change unpredictably or in any other way. God says without equivocation in Malachi chapter 3, for I, the Lord, do not change. God always does what's right. God is always calculated in the very best possible connotation of that word. He always knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it. He knows the spirit behind the laughter, the spirit behind the questions of Abraham and Sarah and Zechariah. God knows the level of faith behind each reaction. Scripture says that Abraham had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Did he have enough righteousness? Scripture says that Zechariah was righteous and blameless before the Lord. Was he blameless enough? God knows where each person is in each moment, and God knows where they need to be. Abraham and Elizabeth apparently did not need silence 
They needed something different to strengthen their faith and to take them further in and deeper still. For them, perhaps the patience required from a 25-year wait is what took them on their journey. God knows what's best for each one of us. And God knows the path of the journey that will take each person further in and deeper still. For Zechariah, that path was silence. You know, commentators, they really lambast poor old Zechariah. Uh, his response is called sinful skepticism, cold skepticism, presumptuous doubt. It's said that because Zechariah used his tongue to utter words of unbelief, his tongue would be silenced. Wow. If they were writing about my life, their pens would melt in, in their hands. Now, should Zechariah have known better? Yes. Did Zechariah have the testimony of Scripture telling him that these things can and do happen? Yes. Is unbelief wrong? Yes. Does human reason and rationality always seek to crush or snuff out faith? Yes. Was Abraham wrong not to believe immediately? Yes. Does the righteous and blameless Zechariah need to be drawn further in and deeper still? Yes. So how then should we view the silence that God brings to his world? I answer that question by looking at the results of the silence. Look with me in verse 64. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke. Blessing God. Blessing God. It could have been otherwise. His first question, his first words could have been to question God's ways, to blame God, to impugn God or call his character into question. He could have said, wow, a man lives his entire life in righteousness, in blamelessness before the Lord. And he makes one faithless mistake and bam, but Zechariah does none of this. Instead, his very first words, bless God. He praises God. He extols God. He commends the work of God. This reaction can challenge and maybe even rebuke you and me for the words that come out of our mouths when things don't go the way we want them to go, when things don't go the way we have prayed they might go, when things in life actually hurt us, we forget that we're on a journey with God, further in and deeper still. But how is it that during this time of silence, Zachariah's mouth has been filling up with these words of praise that are just ready to burst forth when his mouth is open. Words that bless God. Well, if we look at the words he spoke, we get clues to what the answer to that question might be. 
his words seem to suggest that Zechariah spent his time of silence in God's word with God. And during that time, the Lord took him further in and deeper still. Zechariah discovered that God's word was not some ancient, irrelevant writing. Silence in God's word informed Zechariah, helped him make sense of what he was experiencing in the present moment. In verse 68, Zechariah says, For God has visited and redeemed his people. That's what's happening in Zechariah's world right in that moment. But it's also God's past promise. Psalm 130. O Israel, hope in the Lord. With him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Isaiah 59. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. God's past promises, they are current, up-to-date news. Then Zechariah says in verse 69 that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. That's happening right now. But it's God's past promise. Psalm 132. For the Lord has chosen Zion. From there I will make a horn to sprout for David. Ezekiel 29. On that day I will cause a horn to spring up for the house of Israel. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Zechariah says in verse 72, to remember his holy covenant and the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, God is remembering his covenant in this very moment. That's Psalm 105. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham. It's Micah 7.20. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Now, I could keep going verse by verse with the words that come out of Zechariah's mouth showing how the words he speaks after his silence demonstrate the faithfulness of God to his word. To demonstrate how God never changes over time. How God is always keeping every promise that he has made. Because God determined that he would bless the world through his son. Jesus the Christ. Who is even now, in this moment, alive. And seated at the right hand of God the Father. You know what that means? That means that Jesus is never irrelevant. Do you believe that? Jesus is never irrelevant. That means that the ancient words that tell of Jesus are never antiquated. It means that you and I can never be more up to date with understanding our world, how it works, its people, how to live in it, what God wants for it than when we know the Word of God and the ever-living Christ it extols. I want to say that again. It's for every generation. I don't care if you're from the greatest generation. I don't care if you're a boomer or a buster or a Gen X or a millennium or YZ, Z prime, Z2, Z3. I don't even know where it's going. 
It doesn't matter. Because it's true for everybody. You are never more up to date. Never. With understanding the world, how it works, its people, how to live in it, what God wants from it, then when you know the word of God and the ever-living Christ that it extols. It seems that Zechariah used his time of silence to spend time in the word of God going further in and deeper still with the Lord through his word. Now, would Zechariah have done this of his own volition? Would he have had such depth of insight into the word of God? Would he have understood the current events of his world and his life apart from this time of silence? I can't answer that question. But what we can see is that the Holy Spirit filled him and what came out of his mouth after his silence was one, after, one affirmation after the other of the truth of the Word of God. One indication after another that through Jesus, the one to whom Mary would give birth, and through John, the one his wife had just given birth to and would prepare the way for Jesus, through Jesus, God is fulfilling every promise he's made to his people. So, when you're more and more, and more convinced of the faithfulness of God and the power of God and the saving and redeeming power of Christ, how can what brought you to these convictions be considered a punishment? I wonder if Zechariah would ever want to go back, back to who he was, back to what he was before his silence. He's different now. He sees God in a new light. He has a new depth of understanding. He has new joy. He has new hope for the world and for God's people. Wouldn't you like to have that right now? New understanding of God. New hope. New joy for the world and for God's people. So it was the time of silence that God brought on Zechariah punitive? Or did the Lord use it to make a good man better? A faithful man more faithful. A righteous man more righteous. A blameless man more blameless. What if God were doing for Zechariah what Zechariah would never have done for himself? Listen. Zechariah is old, but the journey's not over. Further in and deeper still. Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Hebrews 12. But God, our Father, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness further in, deeper still. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Further in, deeper still. The Lord knows what we each need individually 
and uniquely. But the question to us in this instance is this. Why should God have to make us do what we should do by our own choice? We have the privilege of looking at Zechariah's story and his journey and his silence and seeing the blessing that flowed from it. He used his time of silence to journey with the Lord further in and deeper still. And he emerged from that silence with praise on his lips. Why should we not be silent before the Lord of our own volition? I suppose one of the most dearly loved and probably most often sung songs of this season is Silent Night. Why should we not have more of those? Silent nights, silent mornings. Scripture highly recommends silence. The Lord said to the prophet Habakkuk, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Shh. What was Habakkuk doing before God commanded silence? Habakkuk was chattering. Lots of questions. Lord, why do you not see? Why do you not hear? Why do you not act? The Lord responds, look and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. The Lord responds, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The righteous shall live by faith. So how is it that we really look and see and wonder and become astounded? How do we live by faith in the power of God? Shh. That's what the Lord says. He's in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Faith grows in silence focused on the Lord. Perspective comes from silence focused on the Lord. Zephaniah 1.7. Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. Shh. Psalm 146. Be still and know that I am God. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that, and we're almost finished. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, has been one of the most influential books of my life. And I quoted from the book a few weeks ago to inspire us to dive into community, to be a family on mission together. This morning I quote from the same book to inspire us to dive into time alone before the Lord. Silence before the Lord, so that we might go further in and deeper still. Bonhoeffer writes, Along with the day of fellowship together, there goes the lonely day of the individual. The mark of solitude is silence. The day needs definite times of silence. 
Silence under the word and silence that comes out of the word. The word comes not to him, not to the chatterer, but to him who holds his tongue. The stillness of the temple is the sign of the holy presence of God in his word. Silence is the simple stillness of the individual under the word of God. We keep silence solely for the sake of the word, to honor and receive it. Silence is nothing else but waiting for God's word and coming from God's word with blessing. The silence of the Christian is listening. Silence. Humble. Stillness. Let none expect from silence anything but a direct encounter with the word of God for the sake of which he has entered into silence. Zachariah's time in the Word, Bonhoeffer's time in the Word, my time in the Word, your time in the Word, further in and deeper still, particularly when we capitalize the W, the Word of God, Jesus made flesh to come and dwell among us because He came We can have silence with him. We can have silence before him. We can hear him speaking to us through his word. We can see his love displayed in his acts of goodness and kindness and mercy and compassion and sacrifice. We can see him in his perfect, holy righteousness. Be silent before him. Be silent with him. Shh. Be still and know that he is God. God, your Savior. Shh. Every day, for you and for me, every day with the Lord, should and could end with our saying, Lord, I never want to go back to who I was. Lord, I never want to go back to what I was before today. Lord, tomorrow, take me on another journey with you, further in and deeper still. Let's pray. Father, how our hearts long for this to go further in and deeper still with you. Lord, there's so much of you to know. Your word, the word we have in our hands, contains just a part of who you are. It can't contain the whole. But Lord, it tells us enough, enough for us to ponder for the rest of our lives the realities of it enough for us to ponder as we are with you forever. Lord, I pray that you would convince us of the beauty of your word, how you reveal yourself to us through your word. Father, calls us to long to come into your presence in silence, to let you do the speaking, Lord.
prevent us from too often just rushing into your presence with our wants, with our desires, with our wishes, with give me, give me, give me, do, do, do. Lord, thank you that you want to hear our petitions. Thank you that you tell us to pour out our hearts before you like water. We receive that invitation, but Lord, sometimes it's the only invitation we hear. You also tell us to keep silent before you. So Lord, I pray that we will. And then in that time of silence, before you, under the authority of your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would take us on that journey, Lord. Make us people who go further in and deeper still with you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.